very hardly and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, it's a new week. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And online, you're streaming us live on www.channelafrica.org. Well, today, in this hour on African Dialogue, we'll be crossing live to the East London International Convention Center in South Africa, where the Gender, Water and Development Conference is kicking off late this evening so we'll be finding out what the conference is all about previewing it and then on thursday we'll also look at the outcomes of the conference but before that let's get our news uh, we have joelani tulo standing by Thank you, Benjamin. Making headlines, Libya's army urges residents to evacuate a central district of Benghazi that is home to its seaport. Countries around the world are being urged to do more to prevent attacks against journalists and other media workers. And finally, the trial of alleged British mastermind Shri Andawani resumes in the Western Cape High Court in South Africa. Good morning. Libya's army has urged residents to evacuate a central district of Benghazi that is home to its seaport. This as it prepares a military operation against Islamists in the country's second largest city. At least 230 people have been killed since the army, backed by forces loyal to a former general, have waged an offensive against Islamist groups in the eastern city. The army has claimed to have seized back several barracks that it had lost to the Islamists in August, though fighting has been continuing in other parts parts of the eastern city. Residents have been given until 12 Central African time. Countries around the world are being urged by the United Nations to do more to prevent attacks against journalists and other media workers. In 2012 alone, an estimated 123 media workers were killed globally while carrying out their jobs. Last year, the figure decreased slightly to 91, but is still represented the second deadliest year for journalists. Sophia Kutrix reports. Marking the first international day to end impunity for crimes against journalists on Sunday, Irina Bokova, the director general of the UN cultural agency UNESCO, said that attacks against media workers were often allowed to continue without restraint. She urged governments to ensure a swift and thorough investigation every time a journalist is killed. The date was chosen in commemoration of the assassination of two French journalists in Mali on the 2nd of November last year. Most media workers who are killed are homegrown journalists covering local stories. 
Ebola is spreading up to nine times faster in parts of Sierra Leone than two months ago. This is according to a report by the Africa Governance Initiative. On average, 12 new cases a day were seen in the rural areas surrounding Freetown late last month, compared with 1.3 cases in early September. Transmission was also increasing rapidly in the capital Freetown, with the average number of daily cases six times higher than two months ago. The analysis was based on a three-day averages of new cases recorded recorded by Sierra Leone's health ministry. However, the transmission rate in Liberia has slowed down. To date, almost 5,000 people have been killed by the virus and over 130,000 people are known to be infected. Meanwhile, as more regions across the world report confirmed cases of the deadly Ebola virus, South Africa's Minister of Science and Technology, Naledi Pando, says Africans need to be at the forefront of groundbreaking research that will curb communicable diseases. Pando has been addressing the 10th anniversary of the Institute of Infectious Disease and Molecular Medicine Symposium in Cape Town. The institute has pledged a sum of around $900,000 to help fight Ebola. Pando says the outbreak of pandemics like Ebola require investments not only to roll out treatments but to be preemptive in researching ways to keep them from breaking out. Let's form some dedicated research teams with colleagues in Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea and other countries to see whether we can put researchers together, put them together so that they actually use our resources because South Africa really is well endowed. Uh, with research infrastructure and see whether we can actually focus on some of these intractable uh, diseases to which we've not had answers in the past 40 years. And finally, the trial of alleged British mastermind Shri Andawani has resumed in the Western Cape High Court in South Africa. South African taxi driver and convicted murderer Zola Tongo is expected to continue his testimony under cross-examination. He started testifying a week ago and is the 12th state witness to take the stand. Dawani is accused of the murder of his wife Annie during their honeymoon in Cape Town in November 2010. He has pleaded not guilty to charges of murder, kidnapping, a robbery with aggravating circumstances, conspiracy to commit these crimes and defeating the ends of justice. Berenice Moss reports. Zola Tongo faced a grueling week on the stand. Under cross-examination, he conceded to numerous inconsistencies between his testimony and his plea agreement and police statement. Defense advocate Francois Fonseil last week referred to a timeline of CCTV footage and cell phone communication to discredit Tongo's version that Devani had offered him 15,000 rand to arrange Hickman to have his wife killed. The British businessman suffered a panic attack last week when photographers banged their cameras against the car he was traveling in while being transported to court. Recapping the top stories, Libya's army urges residents to evacuate a central district of Benghazi that is home to its seaport. Countries around the world are being urged to do more to prevent attacks against journalists and other media workers. And finally, the trial of alleged British murder mastermind Sri Andawani resumes in the Western Cape High Court in South Africa. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
Well, thank you, Joalani, for that uh, news update. Uh, the time right now is seven minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Yes, you are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, interact with us via Facebook. We have a Channel Africa page there, and you can also tweet us at Channel Africa 1. And the Facebook page is just simply titled Channel Africa. SMS us your views in this hour on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three nine zero five. We want to hear from you. Now let's uh, see what uh, we have in store for today's program. South Africa's Water Research Council is hosting the Gender, Water and Development Conference from today until Friday this week. The conference, which is taking place at the East London International Convention Centre in the province of Eastern Cape is themed The Untapped Connection. The five-day conference aims to unpack issues connected to water scarcity as well as gender intervention rather in the water sector. The conference is hosted in partnership with the Department of Water and Sanitation of South Africa, African Ministers Council on Water, South Africa, and we also have the Southern African Development Community there, which is SADC and the Women for Water Partnership. Now, to help us assist, to help us really look and unpack the subject, we are crossing live to the East London International Convention Centre. And let's just see if we have our guests there. Uh, let's just try to cross over there. We have Barbara Schreiner, who's the conference chairperson and the chair of the Water Research Commission Board. And Desijan Naidu, who's the CEO of the Water Research Commission. And also we have the ministerial spokesperson of the Department of Water and Sanitation in South Africa. And that is Sputnik Ratao. I can already hear the conversation in the background and hopefully that they can hear us from that other side. Barbara, can you hear us that side? That's what she said. Director Media I don't think they can hear us that side. We've made the connection from this side, but I'm not sure if they are aware that they are live online but right now. But uh, let's see if we can try make a connection with them. And uh, Barbara, are you there with us? Can you hear them just speaking to our it's journalists? It's, that's it's this again. Well, okay, we're going to take a little break and see how we can establish contact with them and make sure that they can hear us on the other side. You are listening to African Dialogue. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. We'll be back with you.
Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow. As I've just mentioned that uh, we're crossing live today to East London at the International Convention Centre in the Eastern Cape. We're looking at uh, the Gender, Water and Development Conference which is underway and I hope that this time we can make a connection with uh, the centre itself and connect with the people at the conference. As I mentioned as we started the programme that today we have Barbara Schreiner who is the conference chairperson and the chair of the Water Research Commission Board as well as the CEO of the Water Research Commission, Deshijen Nair. I do, as well as Putnik Ratau, who is the ministerial spokesperson of the Department of Water and Sanitation. Now, let's see if we have a connection this time. Barbara, are you there with us? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you very clearly. Who else do we have? Do we have Desujan Naidu as well? Good morning. Thank you so much. And Sputnik Ratau, are you there with us there? Sputnik Ratau is here, but he is not the ministerial spokesperson. That's what I was given. I, Who is he? I'm speaking on behalf of the Department of Water and Sanitation. All right. So you're just a representative of the Department of Water and Sanitation. But let's start yeah, with you. Yeah, just a representative. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Now, let's start with you, Barbara. What is that idea behind the Gender, Water and Development Conference? Uh, what is important about this conference? Why should we actually take heed and notice of this particular conference? I think there are various reasons why we should be taking heed of it. Um, the one is that water is a really critical issue in the development of Africa, in economic and social development. And within that, the whole question of the access to water by women is a very critical issue. So we all know that women are the people who generally fetch water uh, for household purposes when water isn't easily available across the whole of Africa and across developing countries. Um, and they spend a lot of time and energy collecting water, which means that they can't use that time and energy for other more productive purposes. But also women as farmers, women as business people need to get better access to water so that they can actually use it as an input in social and economic development. So in this conference we're bringing people together from all over Africa but other parts of the world as well to try and talk very practically about people's experience in um, water and, and the experience around gender and enabling women to get access to water, to look very practically at how we can improve the situation in Africa and how we can give implementation to the gender and water strategy developed by the African Minister's Council on Water. 
So that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Well, it's also got an interesting name, and you've highlighted some of the issues there, Gender, Water, and Development Conference. Now, how did this particular uh, topic or really focus start about, Dechijen? Tell us a little bit more where this, con- this conference comes from. Uh, thanks for the question. This is a, a process that has started many years ago. And the the two dimensions that are absolutely critical, the first of the dimensions is, of course, water and development. And the second of those issues is changing the paradigm of development all around the world. Because gender sensitivity is not just about the issues of males and females having different requirements, but it's also about the design and management of the systems to make it more sustainable. And this has become particularly important in the wake of the new challenges like climate change, for example. So we sit on a continent that currently is leading the world as the only place in the world that actually has a regional strategy around how we want to engage the gender issue around water. And this is what we're going to examine in a lot more detail during the conferences this week. Hmm. And also the theme is also very much uh, interesting as well. It's titled simply The Untapped Connection. Now, what are we talking about this, Putnik, in terms of that particular theme? It's very peculiar in itself. Is it because we're looking at gender-related issues, water and development? And uh, is it because sometimes these issues are seen separately and sometimes we need to bring them together? Um, I, I think um, the... the the, the topic is, is quite apt in the sense that, as, as, as I think uh, 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 Barbara and Desigan have indicated, um, the issue of water in relation to accessibility for women particularly and girl children is uh, one of the main challenges of development on the continent and mainly through the developing countries. Basically because we know that that is where, uh, or rather women and girl children are at the coalface of the negative impacts whenever there is a lack of services within water and uh, sanitation as it were. So basically what we are saying uh, uh, as as, as the people that are at the conference and obviously with the support of uh, as as Barbara mentioned the the African Council on on, uh, the African Minister's Council on Water um, it is to say you know even from a highly political level from the scientific level from the practical level where you're talking about the women that are affected, who will be part of this conference, by the way, and we are talking ordinary women who are out there who will be sharing their experiences in terms of uh, how they have looked at the challenges of water or lack thereof and what they are doing to be able to actually um, ensure that they, they, they are able to survive and not just survive, but also uh, bring out part of their own indigenous knowledge in terms of how they see themselves uh, uh, looking at the challenges of availability of water.
Well, we're setting the foundation there for this conversation this week that is taking place at the East London International Convention Centre in South Africa. As you've heard our guests there, we are looking at uh, various issues that have to do with water scarcity and quality of water, as they've highlighted. And the main issue there, gender equity interventions that should be made in the water water sector and also in communities when it comes to the accessibility of water in itself. But what are the challenges in your own country? when it comes to access to water and water infrastructure. Let us know your thoughts. Where should we improve as a continent in terms of the water sector? SMS us your views on plus two seven eight two three. 325905. Now, if you've just joined us, let me remind you who we have on the line. We're crossing live to the International Convention Center in East London. We have Barbara Schreiner, who's the conference chairperson and the chair of the Water Research Commission Board. And also we have Deshijan Naidu, the CEO of the Water Research Commission. And a representative of the Department of Water and Sanitation joins us as well. Sputnik Ratawu there, who was highlighting some of those connections that should be made there between water development and gender issues and then we'll come back now we're previewing the show today uh, previewing this conference rather we'll actually get into the conference on Thursday to see what is actually being dealt with what were the issues that were covered and what's going to happen at the end of the conference and this week we'll be focusing on this very important uh, conference gender water and development conference we know that the water issue is a big one on the conference or, or rather on the continent but let's take a little break right now we'll be back and then we'll continue to see what's happening at this particular conference african dialogue looking at different events in depth discussing a variety of issues this is a very significant historical election this crisis is still damaging especially finnish and european economies very hardly and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation and uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Indeed, where we cover everything that has to do with the continent. The time right now is 21 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Today we are looking at the Gender, Water and Development Conference underway uh, in South Africa. It will bring together various partners, uh, bring together the Department of Water and Sanitation of South Africa, the African Minister's Council on Water, and also the South and African Development Community and the Women for Water Partnership. And uh, it's uh, currently starting today later today and will end this uh, friday but i want to come back to you barbara in terms of uh, the involvement of this particular uh, conference in itself who's going to be involved and i highlighted some of uh, the participants it is an african conference not just a south african conference sadac and the african ministers council on water will be there we also highlighted the women for water partnership will be there as well how important uh, is the african agenda for this conference? I think this conference is firmly centered around the African agenda. Um, it's completely tied in with the AMCAR gender strategy 
and it's looking very much at the issues across the African continent. But we've brought in people from outside Africa as well because there are lessons in other places, particularly other developing countries, that can be extremely important for what's happening on the African continent. So it's a discussion amongst Africans but also from, with people from outside the, the continent. Um, and I think that ability to have people from across the continent actually meeting and talking to each other about this issue, it's a real opportunity and we're hoping that there'll be some really exciting and concrete stuff that comes out of it that can help us to take things forward. I mean, also the areas that you'll be covering, as you mentioned, will be around uh, the African Minister's Council on Water. Uh, you state seven clear objectives that can be identified from policy resource, strategic research, capacity building, cooperation, monitoring and evaluation, uh, areas that you'll be highlighted. Could you elaborate on that, Desigen, on, on those particular seven clear objectives that will be covered in the conference this year? Sure, we can do that. Uh, l let me put some context to this. The, the first thing to note is that uh, Africa is the fastest growing region in the world currently economically. And this is critically important because you can build the economy of a region that is gender sensitive, but you can also make a lot of money if you're not. And so what we're seeking to do is to influence the environment in various levels. You want to influence the policy environment at the regional level and the national level. You want the right kind of regulatory environments and support systems in place so that these can move in a, in a composite strategy. But you also want to make the link to the very basics around the people that are on the ground because this is where it's absolutely critical. Because day-to-day -day lives of people and the change in their day-to-day life experience is the, is the marker that we're looking for. So the, the conference design is to go right across the spectrum and then also focus from a research and development perspective as to where we can examine the issues and develop new models and new mechanisms to make life a lot better for people on the continent of both genders and in a sensitive way. So this is how it all comes together for the African continent. But we want to look beyond Africa as well. And one of the things that we're seeking to influence with this process is something called the SDGs, the Strategic Deve or the Sustainable Development Goals, the thing that's going to replace the MDGs later this year, that it should already start with a strong African movement in the right kind of direction. Very interesting that you bring that element of the SDGs as well, because I'm also interested in the rollout of the African Minister's Council on Water Gender Strategy. How important is that element? I know that you're going to be addressing that as well, Sputnik. Do you want to elaborate on that as well? Yeah, but maybe just to take a, a step backwards and say, what is it that the African Minister's Council on Water actually, what does that grouping do? And we must... Uh, understand that the, the, the African Minister's Council on Water is, an, is a very strategic advisory body to the African Union and obviously the heads of states and governments that sit at, the, at, the, at, the, at that level. So therefore the work of, of, the, of MCOW must be so, so critical that when it is, it, is, it is presented to the heads of states and government, it must be a complete strategy that says this is how we take Africa forward. And why that happened is that 
the issues of water and sanitation were recognized and identified by the AU to be some of those that cannot be left outside of the total scope of the work of the AU. So that is why it is actually a very high-level ministerial body whose work is actually taken very seriously by the African Union and by the and obviously through the African uh, uh, the, the AU Commission, which is you know your your secretariat and the body that is driving the work of the African Union. So when you look at it from that point, you've got to realize that that is why also that the rationale was was made to say. The presidency of the of, of MCOW will be a rotational uh, position, where each region of of the five, from time to time, then takes uh, leadership of of MCOW, with the other four regions um, uh, 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 taking up the vice presidency positions, such that all the regions are then equal, and there is not one that is seen to be, you know. Um, overpowering any other, notwithstanding whether that current presidency is, is a presidency of the biggest economy or the smallest economy on the continent. But that uh, rotational uh, 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 um, uh, leadership of, the, of NCAO uh, uh, has brought that, uh, that, that aspect of equality across, across the continent. But it also brings in the fact that then experiences and, and knowledge is shared across the continent within the sector that would then enhance you know, the, the, the actions of each member country across the continent. Well, thank you for that clarification. I think that's brilliant in terms of understanding the work of the African Minister's Council on Water. And today we are looking at uh, this uh, very important uh, conference, the Gender and Water and Development Conference. And uh, we have some great uh, experts on the line joining us there from that uh, conventional center in uh, convention center in uh, East London. And as mentioned, uh, we have Barbara Shreno, the conference chairperson and the chair of the Water Research Commission Board and Desigen you the CEO of the Water Research Commission, and also have Sputnik Ratau, who is joining us there, and he's uh, from the Department of Water and Sanitation. I have to take one more break, but I want us to look just uh, deeper into the central themes of this particular uh, conference. Uh, looking at uh, policy formulation seems to be also the central part of this conference, and also we'll just briefly look at the challenges in the water sector and just go back to some of the issues of gender that were highlighted by Barbara earlier on and also Desigen was highlighting there looking at those SDGs uh, but uh, we need to take a little break but let me know your thoughts in terms of the challenges in your country in terms of uh, water uh, infrastructure uh, accessibility to water in itself especially in rural areas are we still seeing challenges there in terms of infrastructure SMS us your views on plus two seven eight two three three to five nine zero five that's plus two seven eight two three three to five nine zero five i'm benjamin mushatama you are listening to african dialogue we've got about 15 minutes left so we'll get into these issues more uh, when we come back after this break ebola beats remember ebola is not a death sentence get treatment sooner this message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow.
very interesting uh, conference that is taking place uh, starting today at the East London International Convention Centre, looking at the scarcity and the quality of water as well as uh, the connection between that and gender equity interventions that should be made in the water uh, sector. Now, we're putting this uh, particular uh, conference on the spotlight. We'll be actually going back to the conference on Thursday to get feedback on some of the developments that were made at the conference itself. We've got also some journalists that are there in East London that will be covering this uh, conference throughout the week in our various programs. So uh, very interesting indeed. And I just want to look at uh, this uh, focus as well on uh, 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 policy formulation. It seems to be the central part of the conference, Barbara. Can you just elaborate on why it's important? And uh, is it still um, important now at this stage of Africa's development to focus on these policies when it comes to the water sector? Thanks, Benjamin. I think I think policy is important, but I'm not sure that I would say it is the central theme of the conference. I think the seven themes that you highlighted earlier are all are the seven aspects or elements of the AMCAR gender strategy. And so we're trying mm. to focus on all of those. I think policy is always important because it sets the framework in which everything else happens. And I think there's often quite good policy, but there's also weakness in policy and one needs to go back and make sure always that one's policy is the best it can be and that it's actually informed by knowledge on the ground of what's happening, what's changing, what could be done better. Um, but I think there are other aspects that are equally important. And if I can just highlight one, I think the issue of monitoring, for example, is one that is often underrated. But we don't have good enough data on the continent around water availability, around gender disaggregated data in particular. So exactly what are the figures in terms of how women are accessing or not accessing water for domestic purposes and for productive purposes uh, those kind of issues. So so that's an area as well. So I think we're trying to focus on all of those seven aspects of the, the strategy. And I think we're, we're trying to come out with stuff that is actually quite practical and will enable the implementation of the policy that does exist or the revision of, of policy, but that doesn't just remain in the policy sphere, but that actually change changes the context, the situation on the ground, changes the lives of poor women and men across Africa in relation to water. Now, we're speaking about that particular element of management and also monitoring in itself. Another element is the fact that our water infrastructure, South Africa using it as an example, is very backward in itself in terms of just the the, the infrastructure that... Uh, is also in the urban areas of our country in itself. We heard a lot of complaints about South Africa in terms of what is happening in the various locations, in terms of the quality of infrastructure. I'm sure it's also an issue in other African countries as well. Decision, what can we say about this, improving that infrastructure? Because when we speak about development, you can't really disconnect it from that infrastructure development. Uh, South Africa has some of the best water infrastructure in the world. You know, uh, we've gotten used to a a very high quality of service, and so we grumble a lot when we don't get it at that quality. But it really is world-class. It's one of the few places in the world where you can 
uh, get drinking water out of a tap, for example. But the, the African story is, is uh, a very big one because one of the big things about Africa is that we're probably about 14%, one-four, developed on the potential infrastructure of water on the continent. So we have a lot of infrastructure uh, to invest in right o across the continent. Not, not just for water, because water is important in its own right, but a lot of South Africa and Africa's future energy need is actually going to come from water. We have the hydro potential to light out of this whole continent and possibly even export electricity elsewhere in the world. So infrastructure development is going to be a very big part of where we're going to into the future. But here again, the, the gender dimension is very important because you can organize for infrastructure to have just one on use and only serve that purpose, or you can have a multi-use infrastructure that serves many needs simultaneously. So we have many places in the world that have large dams, for example, and only benefits the, the communities that live way downstream of their dam in some kind of urban environment. Well, we need to change uh, the way we think about that infrastructure so that multiple communities get benefits out of that kind of system. The, the next dimension is that water is a fundamental constraint for development in Africa. And what we need to do is to change that into the opportunity for further development where water actually becomes the driver for the development of the economy. Mm. Uh, well, let's also just elaborate on, on, on that, what, what, what you mean on that, water becoming uh, a sustainable kind of reference on, on the continent. Because I'm, I'm not quite sure if I agree with in terms of what you mentioned in terms of South Africa and our infrastructure being on par with the rest of uh, the, the world. But we still have challenges in terms of that monitoring process, as was highlighting by Barbara. So if we have those challenges, how do you mean, how do you know that uh, the quality is as... Uh, as we state, it is good. How do we know if we don't have those mechanisms in place to make sure that we have those uh, uh, monitoring systems, those management systems in place, and also that human resources element that we have good training in such areas? I'm sure it's an another element you'll be looking at, Sputnik, in terms of uh, that uh, uh, monitoring element that uh, was highlighted earlier. Yes, it is true. But I think, I think what, what, what we are talking about when you talk about um, uh, the fact that we do have good infrastructure, we are not uh, moving away from the fact that we still have challenges of aging infrastructure. But one of the things that we do, and I think it's something that we need to maybe talk more about, especially from the department's perspective, is the fact that we do have planned, what we call planned outages for maintenance of that infrastructure so that we are able to make sure that that, even if it's not new infrastructure, but that main, the, because of the maintenance aspect, we are able to actually um, bring some longevity to the services that we are able to derive from that uh, uh, um, um, uh, infrastructure. But we also know that, uh, you know, we have what we now call the Presidential Infrastructure Co Coordinating Commission that is looking at uh, infrastructure development broadly for the, for the, for the, for, 
for, for the country. But within that, we also have what are sub, substructures or subcommittees that are called strategic infrastructure proje- projects. And for water and sanitation, it is uh, what we call SIP 18, Strategic Infrastructure Project Number 18, that looks primarily at how we can be able to advance, you know, uh, the, the development of water and sanitation infrastructure development. But we, we, what, why we did that is because we realized that unless we have a strategic focus on infrastructure development, whether it be electricity, whether it be roads, whether it be water and sanitation, we will not be able to take the, the country forward. But maybe to look also on the continental aspect, the fact that our president actually, I think uh, I could be correct, but Desigan might be able to correct me there, I think is the chair of the infrastructure uh, a development commission of some sort that of the AU, that or, or is it SADC, uh, something like that. But at, it's even at the at the level of heads of state where this discussion is happening, because it has been realised that in order for development to happen on the continent, we need to be able to take infrastructure development seriously. So those are some of the things that come in, and maybe that may not be discussed uh, directly but they have an impact on what the outcomes of, of, of this conference will be. Mm. Well, I, I want to wrap it up. We have five minutes left, and I think we've covered uh, uh, some of the main areas of the conference. But there's also another element of the conference, which is also interesting, is that you'll be conducting some workshops. Uh, tell us a little bit about that element of the conference, Barbara. Well, I think the, the two things that I'd like to chat about, the one is that there are training workshops happening today and a site visit to some of the interesting community projects that are happening down here in the Eastern Cape uh, where women have been involved in water projects. Um, but I think one of the very interesting things about this conference is what's happening on Thursday and Friday this week, which is where we're having an Indaba, an open space engagement process where all the delegates will come together in a facilitated but organic process to actually bring out from the experience and expertise of the conference delegates themselves what the key issues are that need to be taken forward in this process. And so I think it's also important to recognize that in a sense the conference is not an end in itself. It's a step in a much larger process that actually has to carry through into implementation and ongoing debate and dialogue uh, in order to really make a difference on the continent. Mm. Uh, do you want to add anything to that decision in terms of that element of the workshops? Well, maybe two things. The first is that we're also looking to the future. So as we speak, There's a workshop that's examining different scenarios for gender and water in the future on the African continent because we think this can help us to plan much more carefully once we have a reasonable idea of the different possibilities that exist. And the second point is that uh, this conference has to become a landmark, a stepping point to take this debate around gender and development in water to a point closer to action, because this is what we all need. We need to get it into the implementation of the strategies. Well, uh, Sputnik, let me give you the final remarks on uh, this particular conversation. Anything you want to add to in terms of maybe something we haven't covered in this hour on some of the elements of the conference? 
Yeah, just to say probably, um, we, we, we have to be aware that we will be having ministers from the continent who are going to be here. We will be having our own ministers from the country, some of our own ministers from the country are going to be in attendance as well, primarily because Minister Mukonyani, uh, as the Minister of Water and, and Sanitation, where we, we will be hosting these other ministers from, from the continent as well as her colleagues. And out of that, uh, as, as we indicated earlier, that the ministerial segment which will be over Tuesday and Wednesday will end with a a ministerial declaration which will be giving the political direction to the scientists and all the technocrats as to what else they need to bring into play as the discussion go on to to ultimately end on Friday with what will be the the absolute outcomes of the conference. Therefore we have to uh, see and realize that it is not just you know technocrats uh, talking amongst themselves it is not just scientists talking amongst themselves but there is also political will to be able to make sure that this conference ends up as being a critical uh, tool towards the achievement of good uh, supply of water and sanitation. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sputnik. That is Sputnik Ratau, who is from the Department of Water and Sanitation. We also want to thank Barbara Schreiner for making time for us. She is the conference chairperson and chair of the Water Research Commission Board. Thank you as well to the CEO of the Water Research Commission, Dej- uh, Dejijan Naidu. And uh, today we're just setting a foundation for Thursday, looking at uh, uh, the conference from previewing it and uh, seeing what's going to be happening in this week. It's a five-day conference starting today until Friday. We thank our guests for joining us live from Eastern Cape. Now it's time for us uh, to move on. It's uh, 11.45. Wisani Matebula is standing by. He'll give us our economics update. Good morning, Benjamin. The critical role which uh, knowledge and innovation should play in Africa's development is the focus of this year's African Economic Conference currently underway in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, organized each year by the African Development Bank, United Nations Development Program and the UN Economic Commission for Africa. The conference provides a unique opportunity to explore how to harness Africa's knowledge industry for the continent's transformation and inclusive growth. Policymakers, researchers and development practitioners from Africa and elsewhere are exploring extent knowledge generation approaches and frameworks as well as the efficacy of Africa's knowledge and innovation institutions. And South Africa Power Utility ESCOM says its contingency plan to restore the supply of electricity throughout the country is going well. ESCOM says about 1,200 megawatts of electricity is coming out of the station and it expects the number to increase. ESCOM started with load sharing yesterday after one of the coal silos at the Majuba power station in the Mpumalanga province collapsed. ESCOM spokesperson Andrew Ettinger. Yes, the South African economy has taken many hits this year. And on top of the strikes, to have this sort of load shedding for another week, which is going to affect most industries in the country, people from offices to heavy industries, we're going to have huge problems. And this is certainly not what we wanted to have, and it's certainly going to lower the fourth uh, uh, quarter growth uh, quite a lot, actually. And, you know, if you look at it, even things like traffic jams and so on are going to be a lot worse this week.
Africa's top bullion producer, Anglo Gold Ashanti, has reported a sharp decline in third quarter earnings in the face of lower gold price, inflationary pressures and higher tax charges. Anglo Gold says adjusted headline earnings per share were $2 million in three months to September, compared with $576 million in the same period last year when the company realized a once-off gain on convertible bond. But it swung back into profit from the June quarter despite a slightly lower dollar gold price as it lifted production by 3%. Nigerian phone tower group IHS has raised $2 billion in equity and $600 million in debt in what it says is the biggest equity fund raising by an African company this decade. According to a statement, IHS, the continent's largest tower company, will use the money to finance infrastructure spending and recently agreed acquisitions. It says the equity funding was uh, from new and existing shareholders but didn't provide further details on the deal. Tanzania will issue a data data on rebased gross domestic product in mid-November with analysts estimating the size of the $33.26 billion economy could increase by about 20%. The rebasing process allows statisticians to update their estimates to take into account technological innovations, giving investors a clearer view of the amount and types of activity in the economy. Tanzania state-run National Bureau of Statistics says it will release the new data mid this month and not this Friday, as it had previously said, and gave no reason for the postponement. Mining, tourism, communications and financial services are the other key sectors in Tanzania. Financial indicators, the US dollar trading at 11.01 South African rands at 9 Botswana pulas and 6.29 Zambian kwachas. It's also trading at 0.62 against the British pound and 0.79 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,166, platinum $1,223 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil remaining static at $85.80 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Figure Lingwati now joins us to give us our sports update. In our sports update this hour, we're kicking off with football news. Ghana Football Association, GFA, has not yet decided to appoint the new coach of the senior national team. It is two weeks since the country had Avram Grant, Michel Pont and Juan Ignacio Martinez Jimenez interviewed in the capital Accra. The deadlock between members of the executive committee of the Ghana Football Association is causing the delay to name a new coach. This means that Kwesi Apia's successor is likely not to be known until Ghana is done with the two Afghan qualifiers in the next fortnight. Maxwell Konadu will therefore take charge of the game against Togo in Ghana and Uganda in Kampala while the GFH decision is awaited. And on to athletics. Athletics Kenya's top management is expected to meet today to deliver a verdict on the action to be taken by the Federation following the shocking news that Rita Jeb 2, the three-time Boston and two-time Chicago Marathons champion, had failed a drug test. 
Francis Mitegi has more. Egyptians coach Claudio Berardelli and the agent Federico Rosa have exonerated themselves from all blame, saying they were also surprised by the news. Speaking in New York ahead of Sunday's marathon, Berardelli, who coincidentally also coached Matthew Kisorio when he admitted to steroid use two years ago, says the news could be an indication that drug use amongst Kenyan athletes could be widespread, as claimed two years ago, allegations that government and the athletes Kenya officials vehemently denied then. In rugby news, South Africa's Western Province lose forward Nizam Kar says it is a dream come true to be part of the Springbok squad that is currently on tour in Europe and says he's looking forward to contributing to the success of the team in the test against Ireland, England, Italy and Wales. The Springboks have arrived in Dublin. Look, it's, it's obviously unbelievable. I mean, when, you, when you're a younger kid, this is what you dream of, you know. And, and, and during the news on uh, Monday morning, I actually saw it on TV. No one actually called me. And, uh, you know, it was really, you know, I'm really happy about it. And uh, in the beginning of the year, to, uh, I never knew I would be part of the 23-man squad for the Stormers. And winning the Curry Cup now on Saturday pass and the news on, on Monday morning, it's, it's obviously really a dream come true, yeah. In netball news, the first five pro team left for Auckland in New Zealand on Sunday night for the much-anticipated World Series tournament that kicks off on Saturday. The first five pro finished third at the inaugural championship in 2012, and this time around, their coach Elise Gortz says they are like a well-oiled machine. The first part team were very fortunate to have two training camps in Pretoria, and then obviously um, uh, the week before we played against the Australian Institute, and then yesterday today, and at the moment I'm really excited because they had a wonderful training session this morning. So we ended up well today, ready to take on the first part. On to swimming news. South Africa's Shadley Claw and Hungary's Katinka Hozu are the overall winners of the FINA Master Bank Swimming World Cup, which ended at the weekend in Singapore, the concluding leg of the seven meet series. The winners sparkled champagne to celebrate the victory and the prize money of 99,000 US dollars. Hozu added two more gold medals to her tally, bringing her total to an unprecedented 51 gold, a kind of world record in itself. She also won six silver and nine bronze, 66 medals overall. And finally, with tennis news, world number one Novak Djokovic has won his 20th master. That's the title after a comprehensive 6-2-6-3 victory over Canadian 7th Milos Raonic to win the Paris Masters for the second straight year. Kirsten Webster reports on a very one-sided final. At times it was like the master playing an apprentice. Djokovic was simply in a different class throughout the match. Raonic made too many unforced errors. And with Djokovic, one of the best returners in the game, Raonic was unable to use his normally devastating serve to dig himself out of trouble. It was Djokovic's 600th career win and first title as a dad. Crucially, it stretches the Serbian's lead over Roger Federer in the race for the season-ending number one world ranking. It helps that I won the title in Bercy, that um, I'm playing well, that I'm feeling good about myself on the court. Now I cannot affect uh, his own matches, I can affect only what I can do and every match that I play and win gets me closer to holding number one uh, at the end of the year. The doubles trophy was won by the Bryan brothers again, their 32nd title in a Masters 1000 event the pair just continuing their dominance of men's doubles.
That's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue for this hour. Uh, Remember that uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow, same place, same time. African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember that today we're looking at the Gender, Water and Development Conference. We're just laying a foundation today, what the conference is all about, some of the themes that will be covered and what will be happening there in terms of which representatives will be at this conference. We'll come back on Thursday and Uh, bring you this uh, conference in terms of some of the issues that were covered really look at the real issues here and uh, really I just touched on briefly on some of the challenges but then on Thursday we'll come back to those issues and actually deal with them in a more uh, informative way but remember I asked a question what are the challenges in your country when it comes to the water sector, water accessibility maybe in the rural areas it's difficult for you to get access to water how can this be improved by governments let us know your thoughts by SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. I asked a question uh, earlier on about the challenges we're facing in South Africa in terms of infrastructure. I think on the continent there's still that infrastructure problem. Our infrastructure is aging; it's pretty old in South Africa. What's the infrastructure problems in your country? Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five is that number again. But let's end with the proverb of the day, and today is an interesting one. It comes from Somali, and it states that. A dog which refuses a bone is not alive. I'm trying to figure out what this one means. I'm always kind of going to ask around. Maybe I've got some friends who are from Somalia and just ask what this one actually means. But hey, let me wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. I'll be with you for today's uh, African uh, um, Midday. It's Africa Midday to give you the latest uh, on what's happening in terms of news on the continent. So I'll be with you in the next hour.
mama, mama, mama. 